Contestant cut. Yeah, you know that's us. Where we only speak the real and the real rock with us. Where we motivate the people and politic on success. Oh no, we ain't DJ Kelly, but they swear we the best. and cut it's season five this is the premiere episode one i want to give a big shout out to uncle snoop's army and bobby d presents i appreciate you brothers it's your host zylo and today we have an incredibly dope and legendary special guest he was born in california and raised in baltimore and he currently resides in the big apple new york new york He's a world-renowned and celebrated author, music journalist, editor, film producer, digital media executive, and publisher. He's had an extensive and effective career in the hip-hop industry that stretches nearly 30 years, and an illustrious editor and journalist career that stretches over 34 years and counting. He was a founding editor at Quincy Jones Monthly Startup Hip Hop Magazine, Vibe Magazine, and at Vibe, he covered from Tupac and Notorious B.I.G. and the golden age of hip hop through the millennial into the Obama era. I'm talking 93 to 2011. I'm talking everything from Dr. Dre to Eminem to Outkast to Jay-Z to Mary J. Blige to Drake to Rihanna. And that was just a, a minor minuscule of what's been underneath this brother's facets while he was making editorial decisions. From there, his writings continue to find major platforms to excel to the audiences from his experiences at Complex, Genius, I use Genius a lot, Mass Appeal, I love those interviews, The New York Times and Billboard, just to name a few. He's also produced and directed documentary shorts like, you know, De La Soul, legendary, Nas, legendary, and, you know, epically, we got to talk about Post Malone as well in there. This brother knows his generations, he knows his sounds, and he knows what's hot, and he knows what's not. And to his latest book, to the latest project, The Marathon Don't Stop, The Life and Times of Nipsey Hussle, that dropped fresh off the, set, off the shelves on March 23rd, 2021. I have personally been blessed and been able to read this book. And this book has really, really inspired me and also filled in so many different gaps that I didn't know about this brother. And I use Nipsey Hussle a lot throughout my show, throughout my own learnings, without growing up without a father. He became a great father figure to inspire you to understand right from wrong and, and how to apply pressure in the right way to see things that other people don't. And if you don't know who I got on the show by now, it's all good. We got all episode to chop it up with the author, the man, Rob J. Kenner. How you doing, brother? I am well and blessed. And I'm bringing you on the road with me to do all the intros, man. That's amazing. You just set it off so lovely. Give thanks for that. Oh, all love, brother. You know, I'm ready. I'm I'm available. They say jump. I say how, how high, how long, and where are we going while we jumping? <laughs> <laughs> so I just got to add, since Uncle Snoop's army gives you so much strength, if you're talking about the vibe resume, you got to mention that first Snoop cover, 1993, Bow Wow Wow. And, you know, that was legendary. And I had strong deja vu the first time I met Nip Hustle in the offices of Vibe. Um, you know, he was flowing over some death row beats on the, you know, Bullets Ain't Got No Name Volume 2 that Dre jacking for beats cut. And I had a strong sense of deja vu, especially because at that moment in hip hop, it was 
teach me how to Dougie and do the stanky leg. I was like, I need some real hard shit. And Nip, Nip gave us that. So, you know, anyway, big up Snoop every time. Oh, yeah, no. When I read that in the book in the beginning, I was like, oh, I could just imagine the energy of like, oh, this guy just reset the market and we were looking for this. Because I remember everyone was saying like, oh, we're lost in hip hop. We're, we're this, we're that. And, and, you know, he came in there with something real nostalgic, but something brand new. And that's something really hard for people to, one, understand, and two, how to incorporate. I want to mention one more thing while we're discussing that shift in the culture. Nip would not want us to denigrate or demean, do the stanky leg, teach me how to doggy. He never dissed any rapper. I don't believe Nip Hustle ever dissed a rapper in his whole life because he loved hip hop too much. And if you were able to feed your family and elevate your own life and your community by getting paid off of beats and rhymes, he was all the way with it. He was not going to throw shade toward any artist. So, you know, big up, uh, do the stanky leg and all that. But, you know, for me, my taste, I was very excited to hear this young man from the Crenshaw district going hard at that moment. And it, it just brought back memories. Like I said, when we did that first Snoop cover, I was like, I got that feeling again. Oh, yeah, absolutely, brother. I got to let you know from the beginning, Rob, time's the most finite thing we have on this earth. I got to tell you from the jump how much I appreciate your time for rocking with me, rocking with the viewers and the listeners. Thank you. Big respect. And, you know, we'll go down any road that you want to go. There's a lot of things we could talk about right now. I see those Bob Marley posters on your wall. One of my favorite artists. Um, I recently was blessed to direct a short document. No, excuse me, produce a short documentary on Skip Marley, Bob's grandson. Yeah. Boomshots TV it was directed by Reshma B, an acclaimed filmmaker out of London. And um, check it out when you have a minute. It's, it's a very important piece. I got blessed to meet Skip Marley at the 2019, no, it was 2020 NAACP Image Awards. Yeah. Hmm. I was walking, I was taking my smoke break before the after party started. And he was right outside his trailer doing his smoke break. And I got to talk to him briefly and take a picture with him. And his energy was just out of this world. I was like, oh yeah, I know you're a Marley. I've had the pleasure of meeting Ziggy. I got to drive Kamani before. And I also mm -hmm. got to see uh, Damien perform and go backstage. Like I have a thorough, just like energy when it comes to the Marleys. I, I will waste a whole week trying to figure out what they're doing or, or falling into what they got going on. Cause it's just that nostalgic, that energy you cannot replace. Well, you know, that was how I got on at Vibe. If you want to just get into the, the deep files, I, I pitched a Supercat story in 1992 because my thing was always dance hall and reggae music. And I knew that if Quincy Jones was going to start a music magazine, that reggae had to be well represented in its pages. And I had a feeling that if they were going to do it, they might not do it all the way the way I thought it should be done. So I, I started relentlessly bombarding them with pitches with the, the, the editor at the time who had been announced as, um, you know, taking the helm of the magazine is named Jonathan Van Meter. And I was sending him mail with a stamp every week, like pitching, pitching. You got to do reggae. I know what to do. At that time, I was deep in the New York reggae scene. I was working in a record shop and DJing and, and I just I wanted to tell those stories. You know, BDP was hanging around the whole BDP posse bridging the gap with dance hall and hip hop and keeping it very cultural. 
And so I just knew there was a gap that needed to be filled in. I said, Supercat is popping. He's got this Dom Dada album coming out. It's an important story to tell. And they blessed me with an assignment in the first test issue of Vibe. People liked the article. And then when they launched for real, they offered me a job. And that was that Snoop issue, 1993. Man, you just dropped a powerful jewel. Not only did you showcase persistency, you also showcase a void in the marketplace and how to provide that void in the right way. That's real. That's how I felt. It wasn't even a strategy. It was just a very heartical thing, as they say in Jamaica. It came straight from my, my heart. See, I talk about this all the time on the show. You go from passion that leads to purpose, and purpose will lead you to the bag, and, and you know it'll make you real comfortable on what you want to do from the confidence that you're trying to put into the world, and then the greatness receives you with the universe. 100%. That's it right there. Rob, I got to know, brother, what's a normal 24 hours for you? I, I'm going to go back into your history, but I just I got to know, because, you know, for someone as intellectual as yourself and then the the ranges of knowledge of if different genres of music and to the, the backstories of different streets to, you know, you have so much a plethora. And I'm like, well, how does this brother's normal 24 hours go? How does someone that is a publisher and author and still does freelance writing still create time to, to do what they want to do and, and put that smile on like you do, brother? And it's like, where, 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 where does the structure come in and, and how is it going? Lace me. Everybody's 24 hours has been changed a lot in the last year or so. And mine is no different. It's a totally different reset. Um, but, you know, basically my schedule, especially while working on a book, writing a book has been a completely different routine than any other time in my life. But let me talk about that because that's really what I'm in, what I'm fresh in my mind right now. Um, when I wake up in the morning, I don't drink coffee. I drink lemon water, fresh squeezed organic lemons with boiling water just to cleanse the system. Um, caffeine is not what you need in the morning. Um, even green tea is a little too harsh. So it's just the, the vitamin C and the hot water, organic lemons, cleanse the system. Uh, take a shower, brush my teeth. I brush my teeth before the lemon one, but take a shower. And then I pray. Um, I, I have a, a place in my apartment where I go. And by the way, this is not my apartment. I'm at a friend's house while we're rolling out the book. My, my apartment's a little different. But anyway, I go to a place in my apartment where I pray in the morning. Um, I, I speak to my late mother, my late father, my grandparents. Um, I speak to spirits of some of the artists whose lives, you know, have touched my life. And, you know, I, I, I speak to, you know, I, I give thanks. I don't ask for things from God. I thank him for protecting my family, for protecting all my loved ones. I name them all. And I, I set that time aside before anything, you know, and, and then once that's done, then it's time to open up the phone. Don't touch a phone or look at an email before all that is, is done. You know, it's very important to keep the mind clean as well as the body. And, you know, honestly, during the time I've been working on this book, I lost 70 pounds. Um, you know, I, I used to be very overweight 
Um, one of the things that has been a blessing for me in this time, I don't know if I attribute it to the pandemic or the influence of diving so deep into Ned Puzzle's life and philosophy, but you know, for anybody that's writing a book or any creative endeavor really, but for me, writing a book this complicated and this, this demanding, um, it was a blessing to hear Nip Hustle's words of encouragement every day. Like that was literally the voice in my headphones that was, you know, encouraging me to keep going. And, you know, you know, the lyrics, you know, the interviews, like he left so many on, on, on YouTube. And, you know, it's like to hear his voice saying, you know, keep going. It's a, it's, it's a speed bump, not a brick wall. You know, all the, all the setbacks, um, all the moments of doubt, you know, uh, you couldn't have a more encouraging coach than, than Impuzzle himself. So I felt like, you know, he was, he was cheering me on in, in a sense. Um, oh, and I left one thing out too, in terms of losing weight and just keeping my mind clear. I have been like doing yoga um, with a, like a YouTube thing that I, you know, I can't go to a class in the pandemic, but, you know, just in the crib, I do some stretching and stuff like that, you know. Um, so that's all part of the routine, man. You know, just to add one point in, so what you brought up was a big gem that you just dropped in there about Nip and, you know, he, he put speed bumps in front of you to recognize that, hey, they're just to slow you down. It's not a brick wall. The whole formation of my show, the reason why I do the show is to get the blueprint out there for while people made the decisions in their life to make the proper way that they envision for themselves and they're living that life. And, you know, they talk about certain things along that way. And those are the speed bumps. Those are the potholes. Mm -hmm. But it's up to you on how you interact with that pothole, how you interact with that speed bump. If that thing is going to become a wall and you crash into it because you went too fast or you didn't recognize the slow down. And those are those elements and the reason why my show exists. And, you know, something I've learned from Nip is that you got to get what's in you out of you so that people can respect what's putting on you. And That's so true. he showcased that so well and made that that yellow brick road look a little bit more green every time he decided to speak about it. That's really real. That's really real. And all those setbacks, you know, it, 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 it's just a test of your determination. And you, you've heard the phrase, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. You know, all these things are, are tests. And if you welcome adversity, if you welcome the pushback and don't trip and ask why me and feel sorry for yourself, you just push through it and come out stronger, you know? And I mean, the, the pushback never stops. Life is, you know, an uphill, an uphill climb at all times, even when it feels like you know, everything's great. Like that pushback is right around the corner, but you just have to continue to understand that and expect it and, you know, just welcome it. Um, my dad was a professor and wrote a lot of books and um, the book, The Marathon Don't Stop is actually dedicated to him. And um, one of the books he wrote was about a guy named Buckminster Fuller, Bucky Fuller. If you guys have ever seen those geodesic domes that are on playgrounds and you know, some buildings are built with this. Uh, he was a thinker, an architect, a visionary. He came up with the concept of spaceship Earth. If you ever heard that, that, you know, all of humanity is on one spaceship together. You know, one world is enough for all of us, as the song says. You know, uh, Bucky Fuller was a person 
you know, first came up with that way of thinking about humanity on this planet. And, um, you know, the reason I bring him up is that he had a, a, a saying that he would often quote of, you know, you can't learn less. So even when you're trying something and it fails tremendously, you know, total flop, you know, face plant, epic fail, all that. If you learn the lesson of what went wrong, instead of, again, feeling sorry for yourself, instead of like saying, oh, this shit is fucked up. I'm, I'm never going to make it. That's the whole marathon mentality. That's the whole, you know, Nip Hustle and Buckminster Fuller are basically looking at the same thing from different perspectives. But that's the gem right there. It's like you cannot learn less when you have a, a setback or an obstacle. Just take the lesson and keep it moving. I just want to add one more thing to that, because that's such a, a, a 20 karat gem right there that, you know, just to make it BVS right now and make it shine more. Because I like to say that, you know, you make the excuse the reason why you do it. If the excuse is, hey, there's too many people doing it, then be the reason why you separate yourself from those people and do it. Mm. You know, sometimes you got to get in a, a crowded lane to recognize that there's a way out the lane and no one else sees that path. If you recognize that, hey, you got the problem solved and everyone else is still in the mix of the problem, then it's your job to get it solved. And then, you know, enjoy the route. And when you said that all of that stuff just poured into, cause that's my mentality. I was homeless in high school and oh. I still got straight A's and found ways my mother was incarcerated my freshman oh. year. And then just, I could, it's, it's all in the, whatever the newspaper right here. And okay. so, you know, that, that really inspired me in my own ways of like, all right, whatever's going on, I'm about to pour myself into school and make that into something great. And that's honestly what I did. And then I got recognized for it. But at the same time, when you're living that life of, hey, I'm learning everything from the streets, I'm learning this knowledge, you also pour yourself back into where you're learning from. And the streets, I, I got arrested about a month after that came out, making front page Sunday newspaper for robbery in a second degree. And, you know, I learned a lot. And, you know, as, as I'm speaking about it, I feel like it's curtailing to my quote that I have that I want to know how this quote relates to you. Okay. Here we go. When it's all over, all that counts is how the story's told. So write my name down, write my aim down to do this my way and carve my own lane out. Nip the great, Nipsey Hussle. Well, that, as you, I, I assume you read that on the pages of, uh, the marathon don't stop i'm sure you knew the record before but i chose that as the opening quote at the top of the intro to the book and um it's the some of the last lines from a record called outro on the mixtape the marathon continues and that line when i mentioned earlier that you know nip's lyrics and quotes were speaking to me on a daily basis throughout the marathon of my own personal marathon of putting this book together um that one really rang very loud in my ears because i wanted to tell the story of Hermes Ascadome, nipsey hustle properly in historical context in hip-hop context in american history context you know to, to place him in his proper perspective because you know honestly there were no very few decent magazine profiles written about this great artist during his career. Um, apart from the GQ magazine profile on him and Lauren, which was a beautiful 
photo shoot, beautiful article. You know, there wasn't a lot of the type of work that we would have done at Vibe. You know, as I mentioned, he got his one page in Vibe, um, which, you know, he worked very hard to get up in the office of Vibe and get that look 2009, shortly before the magazine ceased publication. But we never really dug in and did the, the you know, the foundation work to say, this is who this artist is. This is why he's important. And it wasn't done. There were interviews, a lot of interviews. He, he spoke to so many like very, you know, major uh, radio programs and podcasts, but also like real, like in the cut around the way video programs. I don't think he said no to a video interview ever that I'm aware of, maybe now and then, but he was really made himself available to speak directly to his fans, right? But I think he wanted someone to write his name down and write his aim down and explain why his marathon and his movement were so important. So that, that quote right there gave me the courage and the inspiration to say, yes, I'm going to step up and do this. And, you know, it's not a small thing to take on that responsibility. Um, a lot of expectations go with it. You have to get it right. And you'll see by the number of footnotes in this book and the amount of research I did, you know, I, I took that real seriously. And I feel that this is actually the most challenging and the most um, important project that I've ever taken on. And I'm, I'm just really proud. And it, it moves me to think like, because there was times I didn't know if I would finish it. You know, there was times that I had to tell my publisher, look, it's not ready yet. You know, we got to get this right. We got to push the date back. We got to, you know, I would have to go off the radar sometimes because I can't, you know, like you have to go into a zone when you create something like this, you know? And like I said, I was listening to one voice loudest of all, and that was the voice of Nipsey Hussle in my ears. And he's, he's telling me, you know, how long did he push back the Victory Lap album? You know, how many years was he <laughs> promising that that album was coming. I think it was supposed to come in 2013. I know he started, no, maybe it wasn't started coming. in 2011. Well, 2011 was another thing because he had a different debut album, South Central State of Mind, which did not get released because he grew disenchanted with Epic Records. And, you know, some of the people that first welcomed him into that situation had moved on and the new leadership just wasn't on the same page with him. You know, he ended up negotiating a release and negotiated control of his master recordings, which all you artists out there, just make sure you don't sign the first okie doke contract that is sent your way. Because, you know, if you learn from others' experiences, you know, Nipsey Hustle um, shows the importance of ownership. But anyway, back to the central point, that Victory Lap album got pushed back for years because he needed it to be creatively right. And he also needed the business situation to be right. And anyway, in writing this book, you know, it was, uh, it was a marathon and it was not without the moments of worry and stress. And, you know, I'm just very, 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 very humble and grateful to be sitting here with a copy of the book on the table in front of me, you know. The pages turn themselves. You can go and read something in there and you can just put your finger on any page. And you can read something in there and be like, oh, wow, I do remember that. And then, whoa, I did not know that. I did not mm. know that. I did not know that. 
but I remember all these other things surrounding it. And you did such a phenomenal job with your interviews that I want to make sure that if I have my hat on, I take it off for you. Because that that is, you know, I, I produce a documentary. I'm still producing the documentary. It's taking a long time for second to none. And something oh. about second to none is that they're a slept on West Coast group. And, and you know, they were true to themselves and walked away from a $5 million deal. Mm because they didn't want to be Crips. They were Bloods. They're from, they're from Compton. That's where they're from. And, you know, uh, they, they didn't want to do that. And at that time it is what it is. And, and they walked away from it and they've had a struggle for their career from that point forward. And they still had it like maybe two more hits after that. And then they've been independent. Yep. And so it's like, I understand exactly what you're talking about, but what I resonate with is Nipsey's marathon, you know, just, no matter what, you go through every emotion. You just can't quit. You got to put it out. You got to keep on striving. Yeah, I, and so that quote that you said, I'm happy that you picked that. I didn't know what, what you were going to throw out, and you picked a good one because that, that one really loomed very large in my in my mind through this whole journey. Yeah. I mean, brother, I've had from my guy Mars to, uh, to Sap, Sap did Victory Lap, so I had people that did background singing on Victory Lab. I've had so many different people from Nipsey's background on the show. And it's one of my biggest blessings to be able to have a platform that one, Snoop supports, and two, the city of LA and, and the Roland neighborhood is able to come on here and explain the backstory of not only Nipsey Hustle, but the, the area, because the area gets slept on. There's so much talent that gets dismissed because there's a... a you know, a title put on the whole area. And from that title, it, it creates negativity. And that's one thing that we've been all been able to read is that Nipsey Hussle took that negativity and made it positive. He made two negatives and made a positive. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, one of the things that I wanted to make sure to address in the book is what you just mentioned, this thing of the perception versus reality. And, you know, as somebody that grew up in America, um, I was fed a certain, you know, diet of information and propaganda and, you know, certain terminology is drilled into your head and like, you know, just the term gangster rapper, you know, what, let's unpack that for a minute. What does that mean to you? You know, if you're the typical person in Western society, you know, there's a whole set of stereotypes and cliches and negative imagery that goes with that and criminalizing you know, neighborhood um, organizations, you know, you don't hear about groups like the Spook Hunters or the Proud Boys, you know, until recently we learned that, you know, there was a military coup attempt on the United States government two months ago. They almost, you know, they had the noose set up on the steps of the Capitol building. Let's really be real for a second. It could have gone a little different than it did on January 6th. And I don't know if people have really even processed that, you know, because we live in such a, a retweet journalism world, you know, like there isn't that time to like stop and think about things, but, you know, the Proud Boys are a dangerous gang. And, you know, one of their founders was part of a, a media company called Vice, you know, and um, it's important to really think on these things. You know, people want to talk about Crips and Bloods. Yeah, there's a lot of tragic waste and loss of life in the conflicts that have occurred between the Crips and the Bloods and other, you know, Mexican gangs and what have you. But reality is that gangs were formed for a reason. 
And, you know, there were racist white gangs that predate Crips and the Bloods. You know, Nip had an organization called the Slauson Boys. That was his record label before All Money In. He was, he was repping Slauson Boys records. He had a group called the Slauson Boys, some of his day one homies, many of whom spoke to me for the book. I'm very honored that, you know, by the way, Marathon Don't Stop is not an industry book. Nobody signed off on this book. Not, it was not done through publicists. It was not done through media meet and greets. You know, I'm very honored that one by one, I was able to reach out to real people. And for whatever reason, they felt something that they trusted in me. And God bless people like Cousin Capone, Jay Stone, BH, Pac-Man, you know, um, Hoodster Rob, you know, Young Gucciavelli, Rallo Styles, you know, Dexter Brown, who's never been heard from, you know, um, plays such an integral role in this story. And so, you know, these are the people that sometimes get left out of the narrative and, you know, they, they trusted me to tell their truth. And, you know, I'm just very, I'm very honored that each of these individuals, you know, told their story. But my point that I was getting at is, I wanted to spend time in the book really saying what is what does it mean when we talk about gangs? You know, where does that come from? And so there's a lot of history of California. There's a lot of history of, um, you know, where these organizations came from. And, you know, you hear about the Slossons, you know, and you hear about Bunchy Carter. Now, Bunchy Carter was actually invited to open the L.A. chapter of the Black Panther Party you know, and what happened to him, similar to what happened to Fred Hampton in the movie, you know, Judas and the Black Messiah. So, you know, these are the stories that need to be told. And, you know, there's a movie that I recommend everybody check out called Bastards of the Party, which was an important source for me in putting this book together. And, um, you know, it details how, you know, the Black Panther Party was targeted um, and, and dismantled by the U.S. government. And, you know, in the ashes of that party is where we had organizations like the Crips and later the Bloods come up. And, you know, and so these are stories that don't get told a lot. And I thought if we're going to talk about Aramis Askadome's journey, we have to understand, you know, the full context. That's why the book is called The Life and Times of Nipsey Hussle. Um, you know, so that's that's that. I do want to add in one more gang and then I promise I'm going to try and go back into my dialogue of the show. But, you know, there's another gang that rides around, got rims too. They carry guns and they got a badge. Mm. You know, they represent that blue, but we ain't talking about the handicap sign. We ain't talking about that, that, that lair. They talking about that crazy blue that shoots you for no reasons and then put a story behind it afterwards. And, you know, we have to be aware in LA specifically they're the jump out boys. You could be on the corner doing nothing, bouncing a basketball, waiting for the light to turn green and the sidewalk man to tell you it's a go. And they'll jump out and tackle you. And, you know, that's something that that brother faced constantly, constantly. And, you know, that's something that the reason why gangs do unite, because if you can't go to what's supposed to protect and serve, then you got to go to what will protect and serve your neighborhood. And that was something that, you know, I really take my hat off to and understand. I grew up in L.A. 
And one thing that those streets taught me is that, hey, you give people respect first. You bow, you know, you look down, you don't bow up because you're trying to have confrontation. And, and, you know, you give respect first, you go a lot further. And that's something that was taught because they were, the respect was taken away. 100%. And, you know, Nip, even after he had elevated so much and opened so many businesses and provided legitimate employment for so many people that were returning from incarceration might not have an opportunity to be hired by another legitimate business. And God forbid, they might have had to return to the street life just to feed themselves and their families. You know, NIP provided an opportunity, a positive outlet for so many people. And it's almost like the 77th um, precinct did not want that to happen. It's almost like, you know, the authorities did not want to see, you know, a, a positive option for young men from this and, and women from this community. And, you know, it's very, it must've been very frustrating for him to, you know, be doing so much good and to be receiving so much pushback from the authorities who are supposed to, like you said, protect and serve as it's painted on the door of the squad car. But, you know, we know that um, he did not let that stop him. He overcame that adversity. And, you know, that's what the phrase, the marathon continues means, you know, the, the, the inspiration that he gave out during his time on earth has lit a fire in the hearts of so many people in his community and really around the whole world. And, you know, that is the mission of people like Nipsey Hussle or the, the man on the wall behind you right there, you know, Bob Marley. Marley or, you know, the Snoop Dogs of the world that continue to give opportunities where the door closed, there's a window that opens up with a big brightness in it. And it's like, okay, let me, let me see what this, this shining light is supposed to do for me because I didn't get nothing at this door. It was shadowed and dark. That's it, exactly. Rob, talking about the entertainment industry, did the game choose you or did you choose the game? I would have to say that I have loved music from the very, very beginning, some of my earliest memories as a human being on earth is putting a needle on a turntable. Like as a little kid, I just was fascinated with records, man. I used to play like, hey, hey, we're the monkeys and, you know, like all kinds of crazy pop records, Glenn Campbell. And, you know, I, I just love any music, man. And then I learned about Bob Marley. I went into my reggae bag. And so I just knew music was going to be a part of what I wanted to do. And as I, I mentioned earlier, my father uh, was a um, English professor and wrote lots of books. So he was my first and best teacher. And, you know, so I knew that writing and telling stories would be part of it too. So my thought was, well, I guess I have to go work for Rolling Stone. You know, that was the only thing that I knew as like an example of bringing those two things together. And I never did work for Rolling Stone. I tried to get it job there and never worked out. But um, I, after I went to um, college, University of Chicago, I got out of college and I started trying to get on as a writer. And, um, you know, the turning point for me is when I heard about Quincy Jones Magazine Vibe. And, um, you know, at the time, uh, like I said, I was just focused. I knew this was it. I, so I would say that I chose the game. Um, but then obviously when you get put on by a legend like Quincy Jones, I mean, 
dear God, like what did Michael Jackson's music mean to you? What did Frank Sinatra and, you know, Aretha Franklin and all the, all the people that he worked with, you know, it's just mind blowing that I could even meet him, much less be invited to join a magazine that he envisioned and, and created. And, and then as you might've seen on the back of the, the marathon don't stop, there's a quote from Quincy Jones at the top. And when I received that email, I just had to sit down and I was on the street looking on my phone. I sat on a concrete step in a hat and I was like, I just need to catch my breath here because I didn't, I did not expect all that, you know, I really did not. And so, yeah, it's a huge blessing. I feel that, you know, this book was, like I said, it was challenging, but the reception from Q blessing it to just the way so many people are, you know, posting pictures of the book. And the, I think people wanted this book. I think people wanted a chance to, um, you know, learn more about Nipsey Hussle and just show their love for him. And, you know, that's why uh, it's just been overwhelming to see the, the response. When would you consider that hip hop journalism is what you wanted to do with your life? What was that first confirmation or affirmation? Would you say it's when you started, uh, the whole segment at Vibe Magazine, the boom. I think, yeah, without a question. Like I told you, for me, it was it was reggae that got me in the door of Vibe. Um, but you know, they didn't hire me to be the reggae guy. You know, they wanted uh, to publish a magazine about hip hop culture in the broadest sense. And so, yeah, that was really the turning point for me. 1992, getting the uh, opportunity to write a story about Supercat in the test issue of Vibe, which came out um, with Tretch on the cover. I don't know if folks have that in the archive. That's a rare one at this point. But um, I did a, a big story on Cat in that issue. And then, you know, after a year that that magazine sold well and um, they got the green light, Quincy got the green light from, from Time Inc. to move forward with a monthly publication and they, they called me up and offered me a job and I did not think twice, man. I was, I was all in and stayed there for 17 years. I was the only person that did the whole run from the first issue to the very last one. They, they, they marched us out of the building. Armed guards came in, you know, because the bank basically repossessed, you know, Quincy had, had um, moved on at that point. And it, it had been, you know, business shit. Like it was taken over by some investors and, they didn't really know what to do with it. And it was sad because, you know, Michael Jackson had actually just passed and we were working on, this is deep actually, now that you mentioned it, um, we were working on a cover story about Kobe Bryant and Lil Wayne because they had just done, um, you know, uh, Wayne had done that record where he shouts out Kobe on the record. So we, we did a photo shoot with them too. And that was gonna be the September issue of 2009. Um, and then Michael passed and we said, oh, we got to scrap everything. And, you know, because it's Quincy's magazine still, even though, you know, there was a, um, business moves that he wasn't as involved anymore. And it just, it was only right. You know, we had done two covers on Michael during his lifetime and we were preparing a whole memorial issue for. Michael, I was in touch with Quincy's office to get his voice in there. We were going to do this whole thing. And literally, without warning, guards showed up in the building, marched everybody out. Vibe is no more. 
Don't touch anything on your desk. We own everything. The bank is repossessed. You know, so that was also a, that was something that told me, wow, I did this for 17 years. I put my heart and soul into the vibe. And without any animosity, I realized that I didn't own anything. I didn't walk out of there with anything other than my legacy, you know, my clips. I, I kept all the magazine issues. I had that. But, you know, the, the floor fell out from under my feet. And so one of the things that I determined at that moment was, you know, I'm going to start my own digital platform based on my reggae column in Vibe called Boom Shots. If people used to read the old Vibe, there was always a page about reggae in the back. That was my column, Boom Shots. You know, we did a lot of legendary artists in that space. And people have told me that, you know, that was their first thing they would turn to, especially if you're from the Caribbean or you just love reggae, you would check what was in Boom Shots, you know? We did, you know, Sean Paul was actually on the cover of Vibe once, but you know, all the legends were in the pages, you know, Bouncy Killer, Beanie Man, Buju Banson, Vibes Cartel, you know, Sizzla, Capleton, Damian Marley, you know, the list goes on and on. Um, Barris Hammond, you know, but anyway, I knew when Vibe folded that you should own something, you know, it, it dawned on me real quick because I didn't have any clue what my next move was at that moment, but you know, I knew I had to build up my own platform. So Boom Shots is still going. Boom Shots TV on YouTube. Um, you know, we make documentaries and a lot of interviews. Um, you know, boomshots.com is a, is a very respected um, platform for reggae and dance hall now. And, you know, we, we've been consistent with it. Actually, the day after the book drop, I was invited to be on Jamaican television on um, Good Morning uh, what's it called? CVM Sunrise. So it's like Good Morning America in Jamaica. And did a nice segment with me there and talking to folks about that. I, I told him how Nip actually celebrated his record deal in Jamaica when he had just signed to Epic. Now at the time he was on the run. Um, so he shot down there, rode jet skis, smoked up a little bit. And then when he came back, he had to turn himself in and you know do some time. But you know, you know how. He got through that just like everything else. Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know, I feel it's always someone that invests an idea or puts someone in a position to reach their dreams. Who do we owe to thank you for investing into your dreams? Um, well, obviously Q is the first person at the top of the list. Um, and then at other stages along the way, you know, this whole life is about building relationships, fuck with who fucks with you, right? You know, that's what whole, Nip's whole insight about Proud to Pay was, you know, I have a, a dedicated core fan base and I'm gonna overserve them and not try to please everybody, right? So there's certain people that have definitely tapped in over the years that, you know, the, the relationship is just a little different. Um, I think of like early in the vibe times, I went to a, uh, actually, Easy E's group, um, Hose with Attitude, if you remember HWA, they had a record listening in New York at the Shark Bar. And I noticed these two guys in the corner that were like, they looked like the cool kids in the lunchroom. They were laughing and cutting up. And I said, I want to sit at their table. So I went over and chatted to um, Sasha Jenkins and Elliot Wilson, who were the founders of Ego Trip. And, um, you know, they were 
two young men from Queens had built their own publication, very, you know, early stages of ego trip. And um, I said, you know, you guys seem really cool. You should come up to Vibe and, you know, maybe we can get you programmed into this and, you know, get, get some checks and, you know, do some work, you know, sprinkle some jewels in our pages. So over time, Elliot met Danielle Smith, who was music editor at that point. He started writing record reviews for her. They would go on to get married and, you know, to this day, they're still partners. Um, and Sasha Jenkins, of course, went on to be a very respected filmmaker and also the, I think he's called Chief Creative Officer or something at Mass Appeal, which is Nas's magazine and record label. And at a different stage in my journey, Sasha invited me to come work with him and Nas. So, you know, these kinds of relationships are, you know, everything really, you know, it's, it's the good stuff. It's like when you meet kindred spirits and they get your energy and you feed off each other, you know, cherish that and don't take it for granted, you know, check in with those people and, and stay, stay tapped in because you never know what blessings are going to flow from that. Bro, you just dropped so many gems right now. I think you just flooded the conveyor belt of diamonds right now. <laughs> Whew. See, personally, brother, for me, I wouldn't be in the position I'm in without the blessing of one, my brother, he passed away. And then he told me that one of his good friends was Marvin Gaye III. And wow. so I was, I've been to his house once. I never reached out to him right before my brother passed away. Fuck cancer, by the way. Fuck colon cancer. Fuck all cancer. Fuck cancer. Uh, he's always in me in all my interviews. He's on the wall. My brother ends up saying, hey, you need to connect with Marvin Gaye. I know you've been trying to do music. You need to connect with him. He's my really good friend. I connect with him three years after my brother passed away. I saw, sat on it, thought about it. Life happened. I, I didn't grab it. And then I grabbed it. And Marvin hired me as his personal assistant. And then, as we all know, COVID happened. So he didn't get back out. He had this play, this musical that was about his mother and father's relationship and this love story that was traveling the world. It hit Broadway and it was doing its thing. And uh, a lot of people don't know that Barry Gordy's older sister is Marvin Gaye's mother. And you know, what? huh? Barry, Barry Gordy's older sister is Marvin Gaye III's mother. Wow, I did not know that. And so they had this amazing love story and that was their musical that he had produced and put out to tell the story. And so that's what I was gonna help out with. And then boom, like I said, COVID happened. And then I launched my show. I met Bobby D. Bobby D has been a blessing in disguise because Bobby D was like, hey, you need someone to get behind what you're doing. Let me be that guy. And then Snoop Dogg got behind it shortly after. And then my whole point of bringing all this up is that, you know, if I wasn't that, that respectful teenager that went to Marvin Gaye's house and, you know, appreciated and, you know, really respected the fact that they had a vault door for his bedroom door and I didn't want to touch it, but I sure in the hell look about it and talk about it. <laughs> and so, you know, them things always stuck in my mind, but I was always respectful and that stuck with him. And then from there, I've always developed that relationship. I've had people in Long Beach that I worked with and then that ended up connecting me later on 10 years down the road. And it's just like, you know, as you know, from your 30 plus years of in the game, you have developed a lot of amazing relationships as you just started to share. And that's something that the audience needs to really put in perspective is that relationships will get you places money cannot. 
relationships will provide you a situation that will provide for you and your family that you didn't know was there. That's right. A hundred percent is all every big door that I've walked through was because of someone I knew, not because of a application I filled out, you know, that's just a fact. And I still fill them out. I still have a resume that, you know, I send sometimes, but it's the, it's the people who already know and you can't always put the essence on an application you know so once people really lock in and vibe with you you have to just like value that that's precious you know facts facts that is the most priceless the most timeless thing that you could possess is a relationship that that you can value at some point you got to remember that you're going to be so busy you can't turn on your own water that's a fact and i i have to you know you're you ask great questions this is a different combo and i appreciate it and you you also just inspire me i have to shoot shout out my brethren 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 coolie ranks who has just showed up for me at times when i needed it most and we don't even need to delve into all the details, but man, without people like Cooley Ranks in my life, I don't know if I'd be sitting here right now. So big respect. And people like Reshma B, who I mentioned earlier, filmmaker, uh, does a lot of work with Bloom Shots. Uh, she directed an amazing film called Studio 17, The Lost Reggae Tapes, which is actually through nothing to do with me on Quincy Jones's film platform, Quest TV, which is an amazing, music documentary if you love music documentaries and you know rare jazz performances and not only jazz hip-hop soul world music you need to know about it's a new platform quest.tv qwest.tv and one of the most popular films on the platform right now is a film that reshma b produced called studio 17 the lost reggae tapes which if you i mean we could talk an hour about that film but it tells the truth about how reggae music was created and what the lives of the people who made it really were like. You know, the greatest things in human history were not created for money. They were created out of a spiritual need. And that was something that Nip peeped. And, you know, everything this is a beautiful combo. So everything's like spiraling together. But, you know, when I had that long interview with Nipsey Hussle, uh, at the uh, Victory Lap rollout in New York City. You know, we spoke for over an hour. Earliest appointment any rapper has ever set for an interview. I was at 9.30 a.m., you know, meeting with Nipsey. We had to get the crew in early. They were like, do we really have to? Is he really going to be there at 9.30? He was 10 minutes early <laughs> sipping his green tea, you know, and we had this combo. And he said that the rules of this game were not invented by artists. They were not invented by creators. They were not invented by musicians. They were invented by business people who saw how much the world loves music. And they said, wow, we can really make a lot of money off this shit, you know? And the artists are just gonna do it because they love it and they're not thinking business-minded. So we could get them for almost anything. Just give them a little few crumbs and man, we could really cake up. And so that's the way the music business is set up. And it's set up for writers at websites that way. It's set up to exploit creative people. And that's why my conversation with Nipsey at that Victory Lap rollout was a game changer for me. It changed how I looked at my life and a lot of things. And, you know, 
to all the people that's like blogging, writing, you know, news posts and have to do so many views a day and have to, you know, get up and do it all over again tomorrow. I just, I want you to think about that and think about, you know, what can you do to own a piece of what you're creating? What can you do to, you know, put something together, you know, with respect to everybody that's involved in it. Like even, I, I should mention this too, you know, I made a decision with the Marathon Don't Stop um, to, to donate a percentage of the royalties to the family, you know, to Nip's family and, and his foundation. And, you know, and that's not something that I was required to do. It was the right thing to do. And, you know, mm -hmm. this is not an authorized biography. Nobody signed off on what I wrote. Like I mentioned before, the industry record labels and publicists have no idea what was going to be in this book, you know? Um, so I'm putting my best foot forward with it, but I just knew I wouldn't feel right if, you know, part of the proceeds did not go to his family and so forth. So, you know, ownership doesn't mean being greedy, but it means, you know, doing what's right and honoring, you know, your own contribution. The fact that these rules were not made by creative people. They were made by business minds and lawyers and bean counters that want to, you know, extract the maximum value out of us. So reggae music, getting back to Studio 17, Many of these artists who created the greatest music were not benefiting from it because they didn't even see reggae going outside of Jamaica. They wanted to hear their record on a sound system in the street or maybe on the radio. But the thought that those records would go to England and America was nowhere in their mind. Many of them got paid lunch money. Literally, there was a, there was a studio. So Studio 17 was in the heart of downtown Kingston. And outside, there was a, a corner called Idler's Rest, where the greatest musicians in Jamaica would hang out on a daily basis. And if you wanted to, to record a session, you walk outside of the studio. Oh, Sly Dunbar, come play drums on my record. You know, oh, you know, uh, I mean, all of them, all the great horn players, everybody was out there chilling. Wow. And, you know, they got $10 a session or $5 a session. And, you know, anyway, it's a deep story. You should watch the movie. It all taps into what we're saying. Studio 17, The Lost Reggae Tapes. Check it out on Quest TV. And shout out to Reshma B who produced it. It's a very powerful piece of work. Yeah, no, shout out Quest TV. I'm most definitely going to do some research on them. Uh, but something to speak about the reggae music, just real quick. People don't realize that reggae has been the format that pretty much transferred or transformed reggaeton in Panama oh. that transformed freestyling in America and rap music. Mm -hmm. they don't, the best freestylists are not American. They're from Jamaica. They, they do the reggae, how they can put a whole song together and they can transition their styles, change their cadences and do it all with just a drum pad or not even that is something off the, their, their hips. I mean, off their uh, thighs, you know, that, that's all they need. And that's that's something that people take for granted. And I we we I just wanted to make sure I put a little bit of spotlight on that because that's something I love about reggae music is that that they can create anything with anything. They don't need anything at all. <laughs> 100%. And you know, one of the legends, you know, this year has been so brutal with the, the loss of amazing legendary creative, you know, artists. 
Um, just the other day, Bunny Whaler, um, you know, made his transition and, um, you know, now him and Bob and Peter are, are no doubt jamming and Zion together. But um, I want to also mention Daddy Uroy, the teacher, who is considered, you know, and is factually the first lyricist to make hit records. You know, he was someone that used to chat on King Tubby's hometown hi-fi sound system in Jamaica in the streets and a great producer from Jamaica named um, Duke Reed saw him doing his thing in a dance and said, I think we should make a record with this guy. So he took him in the studio. They recorded a song called Wake the Town and Tell the People. Ooh. And then he did a next tune called I'm going to Wear You to the Ball Tonight. And he did a next tune called This Station Rules the Nation with Version. These records were released and they were number one, two, and three on the pop charts in Jamaica in 1970. Wow. Check the number, 1970. I don't know what, you know, there's a lot of debate about the first rap records and the first rap in America, but it was not 1970. You know, that was the beginning of taking the art form from live sessions and putting it on wax and making hits. And those records went to England. They went around the world. And Daddy Uroy, rest in peace. You know, he, he passed very recently and, you know, People that know were, were very touched by that. And, and he actually, his, his casket, you know, lie, was lying in state in the Jamaican National Stadium arena. You know, it was that important to the culture of Jamaica. But that's why there is hip hop records, in my opinion. The whole sound system culture is, is cool hurt. A Jamaican youth moving to, Brook, to the Bronx, throwing parties with his sister, on Cedric Ave, and that's what we start to talk about as hip hop, you know? And of course there were people in Brooklyn throwing these parties and Queens and, you know, it spread out from there, but just let it be known, this whole thing starts in Jamaica. And that's why if you have been watching Verses, those that during the pandemic tapped into Verses on Instagram, what was the most legendary Verses? It was Bounty Killer and Beanie Man. That was the one that changed the whole format, set it off. Two amazing artists live head to head not over instagram with the sound cutting out you know they they got together in one studio you know it was the whole jamaica came together said you know fuck that if we're gonna do this on swizz and timberless platform we're gonna make sure everybody's safe get in a room you know just who needs to be in there and we're gonna do this thing like it's supposed to do and that's where the whole you know the whole battling the whole clash sound clash is, is from Jamaican sound system. So that's, you know, Beanie Man and Bounty Killer, they, you know, they set records with the, the social engagement because they had a real rivalry that went back decades. You know, you talk about verses, it's not just like two old timers reminiscing over, you know, back in the day records and, you know, telling stories like they went at it, like lyrical sword on sword, steel sharpening steel. And go back and watch if you haven't, do yourself, a favor, treat yourself. That Beanie and Bounty versus is legendary. And, it's you know, the standard. It set the standard that where we watch today and enjoy. You know, there wouldn't be a DMX and a Snoop Dogg at the compound unless Beanie Man and, and his battle was set the way it was. They set the standard. Yeah, that's absolutely right. right. That's and, and Snoop and DMX was another of my ultra favorites, especially at the end when they hung out 
And you remember when they started freestyling and the, my favorite part, and I'm going to tell you two, two things about Snoop that people might not have paid attention to. The way he encouraged DMX to freestyle. I don't know if you remember, if you watch, I actually captured that little bit and put it on my Instagram at Robert J. Kenner. X didn't really feel like freestyling that much. And Snoop was just flowing like a river. And then X was like, I had something, but I'm not sure. And he's like, just say what you got, man. Just He kept, it was so much love. It wasn't like, oh, I won the battle. It was like, come on, be great. I know you're great. You be, you show them how great you are. And, and X, you know, he got it going. And, and then damn right, he came with that fire, man. You know, and that was love. Like Snoop really, I saw Snoop's heart at that moment. And the other thing that I, I want to say, bringing it back to Vibe and Quincy, we had a thing called the Vibe Awards when Vibe was, you know, Vibe became very, very, you know, multi-level. I, I was doing Vibe books at the time. We did the book Unbelievable. Um, Cheo Hodari Coker wrote that. I was the commissioning editor. I wrote the proposal and produced that book with him. And, you know, that went on to be optioned to make the film Notorious, which Cheo co-wrote the screenplay for. And, you know, that was one of the first hip-hop biopics. It was very successful open doors for straight out of Compton and many other films to be made. But the reason I'm bringing up, um, you know, vibe awards is that there was one year that you might've noticed where a little ruckus jumped off at the awards. And I'm not gonna call all the names of what happened. It's there on the internet if you wanna, you know, research it, but it happened while Q was standing on stage with Snoop at his side and Q had actually had knee surgery. So he had crutches and was not in full, you know, physical strength. And they were about to present an award to Dr. Dre, like the Vibe Legend Award. And some, some stuff jumped off, tables flipped over, people getting, you know, packed out and whatever, you know, it was, it was, a, it was a bad situation, right? And it was Snoop. You know, some big artists fled the arena and never even finished their performance on the awards. You know, chaos almost took over. The Snoop stood up on the stage with, with Quincy there and, and, and just gathered order, brought restored order to, to the proceedings. And he said, you know, y'all don't act like this in Dick Clark's awards show. So please do not disrespect Quincy's house okay because this is his house this is my house and you know if you want trouble we love trouble too you can meet us outside and we'll deal with that but right now we're gonna turn the tables back over and we're gonna give this award to Dr. Dre like we're supposed to and everybody straightened up their suits and did it all over again and it's because of Snoop that that vibe award actually happened the way it was supposed to and I will never forget that. And then he went on to do a song called If a Sucker Get an Attitude, Drop It Like It's Hot. And that song hit different that night. Just believe it. <laughs> what year was that, the Vibe Awards? There were three of them. I want to say like 05, 04, 05, 03, 04, 05, maybe in there. Okay. We had the Boonshots Award on there too, by the way. We made sure to represent that. Damian Marley won for Welcome to Jamrock. And another year we had, man, we had um, 
Spraga Benz, Beanie Man, and Elephant Man performing on national television. Like just, it was crazy, man. It was good times, you know, but, but I'll never forget Snoop just holding it down in a moment of chaos. Like real, could have gone either way. And it was his courage and his authority in that room that restored order and, and pointed out like people don't act a fool at Dick Clark's award show, do they? So no. why, why, why disrespect the Bible words? I don't know. Uh, I'll leave that one out there. Hey, NAACP awards had the nation of Islam in there. I'm just saying. It's mm, facts. That's facts. Uh, bruh, I, you know, I'm going to wrap up. I know I went way past my time and I, I humbly and graciously appreciate you rocking with me and, and just going with me. Cause this is something I cannot, I cannot just exchange. You know, they said I could have an hour anyway, and I could have it like this. I, I would do this any day of the week, any moment of the week, any, any time, you know what I mean? This is such a powerful conversation. Like you said earlier, iron sharpens iron, you know, that's, all this whole interview, I won't even call it an interview, this whole conversation has been about, is about iron and sharpening iron and making sure you know how to carry that iron. That's it, 100%. And I, I haven't even looked at the clock once. I'm just in a zone with you. You ask really great questions and I appreciate having a combo like this because this whole project has been that type of thing. And it's not like a cookie cutter interview where you keep saying the same questions and answers and stuff. And, I want to leave with one more thing that I haven't really talked about much, but yesterday I had a opportunity to speak with a group of professors and graduate students and deans at Howard University. And they let me know that uh, the marathon don't stop is going to be assigned to students in this esteemed educational institution. And, you know, as the son of a professor who dedicated the book, to my dad, Hugh Kenner. And, you know, the book actually came out on the birthday of my late mother, Marianne Kenner. And, you know, I just feel humbled beyond words that the work of my hands and my heart is worthy to be assigned to, you know, young people um, studying to progress themselves and progress our society. And, you know, so that, that one just, you know, that's still sinking in, but uh, I wanted to share it with you because it seemed like you, you would get it. Oh, you know, that's phenomenal. For those that don't know, this brother grew up in Baltimore and for him to be able to have his book along with his parents being professors and have that at Howard University in Washington, D.C., come on, that's that's where it's at. Like, it don't get no greater than that. If I could have something at UCLA or USC, that, that would check every box for me, you know? but I'm still on my route. And just like Nip says, sometimes, or, you know, you can create everything on that list and you can do it all, but you got to rearrange that list and you got to keep on going and going. And before I close out, brother, I want to know what, what's, what's the next book? When do you start writing another book? Is there going to be another book? Because I could tell this thing worn a lot on you, but I feel like you have such a gratitude from writing the book that it's going to inspire you to continue writing. And everything that you had during that process is like, oh yeah, I want this again, the same feeling. I want this marathon to not stop. Marathon don't stop. That's a fact. And there will definitely be other books, although you are correct in saying that during the process of putting this one together, I have thought about nothing but this. It has 
consumed every cell in my body. Um, but yeah, there are more books coming. Um, I have some things percolating, but right now I'm just really focused on, you know, rolling this one out the right way, engaging with every single person that has, you know, asked about it, you know, hitting me on DMs, like every single person that's posting a picture of the book that just came in the mail you know i'm i'm like really fully present for this moment because it's like it's phenomenal um the reception of the marathon don't stop and i feel like people really wanted this book and they appreciate it a lot and you you have no idea what that means to me but yeah there, there's there's more works god willing that i'm able to be here and and keep keep putting my fingers on keyboards like yeah i have a lot more to say and um you know i want to um you know, my, yeah, oh yeah, my, my social media director is just holding up a message for me to say that um, my phone crashed a couple times from all the DMs and, you know, it's been, it's been insane. But um, the reality is, yeah, there's more to come. The marathon don't stop. I appreciate you so much for this platform and just the combo and just the energy, man. I hope we can do this again one day. And I, I want to hear more about your documentary on second and none. I hope you'll share it when it comes out because it will come out. You know, don't, don't ever tell yourself that it's taking too long or it's never going to happen. Please don't ever indulge in, in those, those negative thoughts because it's not um, a marathon. It's, I mean, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And, you know, speed bumps are not brick walls and you just got to keep it moving in. You know, you already know this, but it helps to hear it sometimes. Oh, yeah. No, if you don't know, if it's a brick wall, you break through that motherfucker. You don't care what you break on that brick wall, you break through that motherfucker and you keep on going. Man, Rob, uh, if you know this, bro, my show is different. It's unique. They got segments over there. They say I have to have segments. And I'm like, I'm not doing them like them. And I'm like, how do I keep that same energy and close out? The viewers knows it's coming. I'm going to hit you with it. You got any questions for me? Um, I want to know what that article is about. If you can send me the article that you shared, um, I would like to read more about you because I, I could tell there's a whole backstory and you mentioned some of what it says. And I, I'm actually curious to read more about who this, this young man that I'm speaking with is and, and just learn more because you're, you're different. And, um, you know, I want to stay tapped in with you, man, for sure. I, I humbly appreciate that. I, I got goosebumps underneath this sweater. I just don't want to take it off because I got the COVID shot yesterday and my arm's still dead. Oh, you got that? You got that shot? I got it yesterday. Shit, Bobby said, if I want to be backstage at Mount Westmore doing media, you need to be COVID vaccinated. And I said, you got a point there. You got a point there. And so I, I took the leap of faith and I got the shot. I'm waiting to go through my course before I tell my wife to, to get the shot. And, you know, shit, we're not used to shots from where we from. If, if it ain't, you know, <laughs> something to go to school or if it ain't something around the corner, we don't pay attention to it. <laughs> well, I, I hope that you and your family stay blessed and healthy. And, you know, let's just keep tapped in, man. I appreciate this. And please send me the link when this goes out, man. I need to watch this back. Absolutely. I'm going to send it to you as well. Oh, you're my season premiere. I did this by on purpose like i was like i'm not gonna tell him he's my season five premiere but he should know that he should be a season five premiere 
without me even telling him. But that's just a little inside thing at the end of the interview that people will know that I did not tell this brother that he was going to be episode number one to launch it. And you you delivered above and beyond. And I'm going to close out real quick. And then it's a wrap. And I'm going to send you my link because that is a phenomenal, phenomenal article. And my dumbass still ended up chasing the street life and getting arrested and yeah, it, it makes me who I am today. I could tell my kids how to do something differently because my dumb ass went down the wrong street. That's it. That's it. You can't <laughs> hey, learn less. Come on, come on. On that note, it's Contrast Uncut. It's season five, episode one, the premiere. I want to give a big shout out to Uncle Snoop's Army and Bobby D Presents. I wouldn't be able to do incredibly dope shit like, you know, chopping it up with Rob Kenner about his history and his brother let them jewels fly. I'm talking about he had the conveyor belt with the diamonds on there getting stuck because the gems was too big to process. So for all of you that just didn't get that bar, go ahead, rerun it back from the beginning of the interview and watch it again because there's so much to just digest and indulge and just be grateful that this brother came on and rocked with us. Thank you, Rob. Big respect to you and thanks again for the chance to chop it up differently, differently. And um, and shout out to Uncle Snoop's Army. Shout out to Currency, Spitter Andretti, Jet Life Apparel. Uh, I'm wearing this because of them. And, you know, that's another real one in the game. But we'll do that on the next hour, you know? Yeah, I got to shout out Cookies, shout out Burner, you know, all of that stuff, them flying planes. And, and you know, that stuff all connects, bro. So. It's, it's dope how we able to connect without even knowing we connected in the air. You understand? That's what's up. Hey, blessings, King. And I am DMing you right now. <laughs> All right. That's what's up, man. Bigger. Take care. <laughs>